Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of our Passover Passion, as we are looking at this special new series during this season and talking about some of the ways that the Passover season connects with Yeshua the Messiah, Jesus the Christ in the New Testament. And so let's talk today, as we continue on in Lesson 5, let's talk about the um, problem. We're going to talk about a problem, and that's what we'll title this one. And this problem will bring out some of the passion of Jesus as we will see as we go through here. Now, this happened, according to one of the authors, it may lead you to believe that it happened on the 10th, but it appears that they this happened on the next day, on the 11th of Nisan, possibly after Jesus had come into the city, cursed the fig tree, which we talked about in the last episode, and now he is entering the city. So let's look at Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 19 today. Now this episode is discussed also in Matthew and in Luke, so you can read it in those accounts as well. And we know that Mark was written by John Mark, and it was also, many people consider it Peter's gospel in a sense, because Peter was a great source for what Mark records. Mark was very young at the time. He may very possibly have been the young boy that flew, you know, ran, uh, ran off. The Bible tells us he even lost his clothes, I guess, and ran away naked from when Jesus was betrayed in the garden. And we may see that as we get closer into this study. But John Mark was a young boy. He was Barnabas's. Um, nephew, I believe, or cousin, and um, he was uh, one of the ones that was associated with Peter and very likely got most of his information from Peter, so Peter was very much involved in the writing of Mark's gospel, John Mark's gospel. So I want to read Mark 11, verses 15 through 19. And this occurs, according to Mark, right after the cursing of the fig tree. There's still, Jesus is, um, when he rode in on the tenth, then he left there, went to Bethany up the Mount of Olives, and went to Bethany and stayed the night, most likely, I suppose, with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and then came back down the next morning, cursed the fig tree, and now we pick up the story according to the gospel written by Mark. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares in or carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. So here we're going to talk today about a problem that Jesus encounters. And it's a problem of this thievery occurring in the house, in the temple, in the house of the Lord. 
So let's look at why this happens. Well, first of all, if you remember, between the 10th, when the lamb is chosen, and the 14th of Nisan, when the lamb is slain, that entire period of those few days are, a day, are days of probing and inspection. They are inspecting the lamb to make sure the lamb is good. Um, they're making sure that there's no blemish and, and other things. So it's a day of inspection. Jesus also was not just the Passover lamb, but he also is the high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, he was not recognized as priest at all by anyone during his ministry here on earth, but he was still operating as God's high priest. God has appointed him high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And I can't get into when that happened, but it did happen at one point in his ministry. There was a point when that priesthood was officially bestowed upon him and there was a transfer. So it wasn't recognized by earthly men and women here. It was not recognized by the Jewish leadership, but he is still by God appointed as priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And he continues to operate in that role now, according to the author of Hebrews, in chapter 7, verse 25, he tells us he now lives to make intercession continually for us. That's part of the priesthood and his priestly duties. We see him operating as priest in the book of Revelation when he's working among the lampstands and moving, trimming the lamps. That's what the priest would do. So we see evidence of his operations. We'll see it in John chapter 17. We call it his high priestly prayer. And we see parts and evidence of that there. Even though he wasn't recognized by the world, he was appointed by God still. So as high priest, he's coming and he's also doing inspecting during this time period. He is also probing. He's not only being inspected as the lamb, but he is also as high priest doing the inspecting simultaneously. He's inspecting his fig tree, Israel as a people. We talked about that yesterday. And we saw why that that's why he cursed the fig tree. Now we're going to see him inspecting the people of his nation, especially the religious folks and the religious leaders and so forth, and his house, his father's house. Now in preparation for Passover, and this is worthy of another of another lesson. We'll, we may do that in a day or so. But in preparation for Passover, every Jewish person knows this procedure. There is a procedure to remove all leaven. There cannot be any leaven at all by the time that the Passover comes and it's time for the Passover Seder. That's part of preparing for Passover is to remove the leaven. So as high priest, now, Jesus, God's appointed high priest, Jesus comes in and he discovers something going on that he has to remove from his house. So let's talk about that. 
because we will find now that this was not the first time that this happened. This was actually the second time that this happened. So let's talk about the first time that this happened in Jesus' ministry. And we find it recorded in John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, the first several verses give us this wedding at Cana. We know that this is early in his ministry. He's just begun to call his disciples to him. They go and they have the wedding at Cana. And um, now it's he moves on and that we know that that's the very first miracle he performed. This is early in his ministry. And so we go on down and we read in verse, beginning in verse 11, let's start there. It's just after he's turned the water to wine at the wedding at Cana. And it says this, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So here we are. This is very likely the first Passover of his public ministry. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem, just like every other Jew did. They caravaned. They sang the Song of Ascents as they traveled to Jerusalem because they were commanded three times a year to go to Jerusalem. So Jesus is in obedience and honor of his Father in that. Verse 14, And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the, the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews, and then the Jews begin to uh, challenge him and question him. And we can talk about that at a later time. So he goes in. This is the first time he does this. The Bible tells us here that he found. In other words, he found out, he detected, he discovered. He found by scrutiny and observation that there were brokers of the coin. There were money changers that had set up shop like the temple with no, dis, no honor and reverence for the temple of God as being anything special or holy. And they set it up and made it a marketplace. Now, that was not the worst of it. The worst of it was that they were thieving the people. They were stealing from them through deceit and dishonesty. And Jesus refers in another um, passage, if we look at Mark... I mean, if we look at, I'm sorry, um, Luke, is it in Luke? Okay, here it is. In Luke chapter 19, verse 45 and 46, Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, 
My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So what was their problem? All right, why did Jesus respond this way? To understand what drove him to this response, we need to look all the way back to Deuteronomy. We're going to the Torah. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 13. Hang on, I'm in the wrong place. I've got another place marked, and we're going there in a little while. But Deuter And it's also in Deuteronomy. But in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 13 through 16, it says this, You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a heavy and a light. You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. You shall have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure, that your days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. For all who do such things, all who behave unrighteously, are an abomination to the Lord your God. If we turn over to Solomon's writing, we find Solomon concurring centuries later. In Solomon's writing in the book of Proverbs, Chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. A few chapters later in Proverbs, chapter 16, we read in Proverbs 16, verse 11, Honest weights and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. So in other words, you had these brokers that had the bags of coins, that had the weights and the measures, and they were doing things that were deceptive. They were uh, thieving the people. They were robbing and stealing through dishonest means, through dishonest scales and weights, and they were not treating everyone the same. They were not doing it justly. And it was an abomination to the Lord. That's exactly what he told us in the Torah, and in Solomon's writings. So these show us what the problem was. The problem was in the hearts of the people that were selling these items. Now, every family had to have a lamb. Not every family necessarily raised lambs. So there was some need for the ability to purchased the lambs, and the lambs had to be without spot and blemish, so they had to be well-raised and well-trained and cared over. That may have been the part of the job of the temple shepherds, we believe, same shepherds that visited Jesus on the night of his birth. So there was a need for that, but what they had done is they had taken it and begun to be dishonest, thieving the people you know, it was all about the money. It was a money grab, power grab kind of thing. And it, we see, still see that today. It was breathed out of greed and so forth. And that is an abomination to the Lord. And so he made that very clear in the Old Testament. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he discovers the first time early in his ministry this problem. Now we need to understand, 
when he came and he discovered it early in his ministry and he drove them all out, what we just read in John chapter 2, that was his response to that out of his jealousy and out of his fervor and his zeal, just like the Bible tells us. But in essence, he was giving them a warning then. This was early in his ministry. This was the first time. So he gave them the warning then. Now we come and he is in Mark 11 and Luke 19. And in Matthew, it's late in his ministry. This is the final days before he's headed to the cross. This is the days of Passover again, three and a half, four years later. He's now come on the scene again at this final Passover with them on earth. And he discovers, guess what? They didn't learn their lesson. They're still doing these abominations in his father's house. They are still committing these abominations before the Lord because they did not repent. They are still doing it again. They ignored his warning the first time. So now his response is the exact same as it was when he gave them the warning. Now, why would that be the case? I believe part of it is because Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 tells us God is speaking and he says, I am the Lord, I change not. And then we come to Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 and we read that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. What was an abomination three and a half, four years ago is, guess what? Still an abomination today. They were warned three and a half, four years ago, four years ago. Now they come to this final Passover that Jesus is experiencing with the people here on the earth. And they're still doing these abominations. They did not repent. So now we see the problem and we also see the reason for Jesus' response. Now let's understand why he was driven to do this both times. It goes to the fact that he is God, the, sec uh, the second person of the triune God. Now I did a series on the names of the Lord, and you can look that up. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on that right now. But in that series... One of the names of God is Elkanah. And we did cover that in one of the lessons. It may or may not be up yet on the uh, online channels. But I do know that our early lessons I covered are on there. And those are where I talked about Elohim or El. Elohim is plural it doesn't mean that we, we do not, we do not, we do not worship three gods. We do not worship many gods. We worship one God who is revealed in three persons. Just like you are one person, but you have a body, soul, and spirit. And there is a union in that. It's the same way. The beloved Shema of the Jewish people says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is Echad. And that word Echad means 
He is a united one. There is total unity in all of the persons of the Godhead. We serve a triune God. Many call it the Trinity. The three in one God. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all three persons are one and the same. Jesus is very God. The second person of the Trinity is of the same nature, quality, essence, and character of, the, the, of God the Father, of God the Son. So there's a sharing and there's a unity. And if God the Father is Elkanah and has, is a jealous God, then God the Son is Elkanah and is a jealous God as well. So now we will turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4 to understand what I'm talking about. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24, it says this. Let's read in 23. It says this, Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 10 through 15 of Deuteronomy 6. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord your God, the Lord, excuse me, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name or be truthful to your word. You shall not go up after other gods, the gods of the people who are all around you. We need to listen to this because this is still true today. Don't go after the gods and the, the characteristics and the worldly stuff that's all around us either. He says this in verse 14, You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are all around you, for the reason, the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. So God is telling us there that he is a jealous God. Now, sometimes we always tend to think of jealousy negatively because we're commanded in the New Testament not to be zealous or jealous about things, not to have that evil form of it where we're greedy or we're covetous or we're looking at other people and comparing ourselves and we get jealous of people. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about that um, that mother hen kind of jealousy that she's going to protect and cover over her chicks. They belong to her. And nobody better touch them because she will peck your eyes out if you try. It's kind of that mama bear type attitude. 
You know, you don't you don't mess with Mama Bear. You don't get between her and her cubs, and you don't threaten them or do any harm to them because she'll tear you to pieces if you do. So it's that kind of jealousy. It's that protective jealousy. It's that this is my house. You have disagree. You have desecrated it. You are doing abominable things in my father's house. And so there's that ardor and there's that fervor and there's that zeal. That's what this is talking about. And that's why it's recorded in Psalm 69. Let's see. Psalm 69, I believe it is, verse 9. It tells us about that and how the zeal, there, here it is, Psalm 69, verse 9. It says this, Because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. This was quoted by um, the disciples. They remembered this particular scripture and saw it played out when this happened with Jesus. It was this zeal, this see-to-it determination and resolve. He was going to take care of this problem and he was going to cleanse his father's house. Remember, this is happening both times that it happened. It happened in preparation for Passover, as Passover was getting close. Why? Because in preparation for Passover, they were commanded to remove the leaven, remove the corruption, remove those things that were abominable to the Lord. That is what drove Jesus to do this. Now, he is removing, he is cleansing this out from his house. Now, I want to read in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 8 through 11. And it says this, verse 8, Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk with other God, walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we're delivered to do all these abominations. In other words, we're free. Today it would be, we can live any way we want to because grace covers it all. And it's a lie, just like Jesus, just like Jeremiah says here, these were lying words. We don't have the freedom to dishonor and desecrate our God and the, the temple of God now being inside of us. We need to honor our God. God is angry with them and he says, how dare you, basically, how dare you think that you can do all of these abominable things and then enter my house and think you're clean and you're free to do that? He says, has this house which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. Jeremiah is writing these words here, very strong words against them and their abominable deeds. In Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7, it says this, Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. My for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So here Isaiah is prophesying 
that there is coming a day when this is this problem is corrected and it's going to be honored and honorable as God intended it in the first place when he first commanded about the house of the Lord being built. So here in this episode, we see Jesus cleansing his house, his father's house, as Elkanah and as the high priest of God, removing the leaven, dealing with this problem for the second time, removing the perversion he sees in his house because he is Elkanah, the jealous God. I pray that this has been a blessing to you and has helped you understand a little bit more as we look through this series of our Passover Passion. May the Lord bless you today. Join us again for future episodes. God bless you in Jesus' name.